Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redeemer Church. We pray that as you listen to this message, that your heart would be softened, your ears would be opened, and your affections for Jesus would be stirred. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would look more like Jesus and know Him more as we strive to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family together in Wichita Falls. Katie, you can be seated. All right. Well, today I want to start off with a question. All right. And here's my question. What does it mean for someone to grow into maturity? What does it mean for someone to grow into maturity? Or another question that ties it into the text, how do we mature in Christ? How do you, in your walk with the Lord, in your apprenticeship of Christ, how do you grow? How do you mature? Because what's interesting about the entire Gospel of John is he uses language. He uses language all throughout it to try to get us to understand that the journey of the Christian life is like growing up into maturity. In this passage, it starts really, uh, this is kind of the concluding statements that he has um, in a section whenever uh, John chapter 15 starts. Uh, it's hard to understand if this is a summary of what John is, is trying to communicate of what Jesus was teaching them, or if this was a totally little separate thing, but he says, arise at the end of this, let us leave here. But he begins his monologue all the way back in John chapter 13 in verse 33 and this is how he addresses them he says little children yet a little while I'm with you he says little children isn't that interesting in John chapter 3 uh, that, that great Nick at night scene that we have with Nicodemus uh, what does he say to Nicodemus it's an, it is impossible for you to see the kingdom of God unless you are what church born again born again. He looks at them, he looks at his disciples and says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you and I call you little children. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, you have to be born again. What is this language that, that John wants to filter throughout in his entire gospel? It's this language of maturing in the faith. It's this language that we are to grow up into maturity. This is what Ephesians 4 is all about. If you read Ephesians 4, 11, kind of all the way to the end, it says that the word of God and Christ himself has given gifts, which are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and te teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that they can grow up and be matured in the faith. So no longer tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. No, we can stand on the steady rock, which is Christ, and say, I'm mature. And every time a new theological argument does, comes up, I'm not just uh, uh, perplexed by it. I'm not devastated by it. I'm not floored by it. And this is so interesting because I think it's something that it's a question that you and I, you and I need to have a firm, strong, biblical answer for it. Because if we know and understand what maturity is, if we just understand what it is, we also have to ask the question, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we grow 
into maturity. And it's so interesting here that he almost addresses their immaturity. He addresses their immaturity uh, right here in verse 28. He says, if you loved me, if you loved me deeply, and this is the word agape right here. So this is, if you unconditionally loved me, if, if you loved me with the same love that God loves the world, then look what would happen. You would have rejoiced. You would be rejoicing right now that I'm going to my father, for the father is greater than I. But yet they were all perplexed and they had all these questions that they didn't understand. Why? Because they were little children. They didn't understand the finished work of Christ and what he was actually going to do. How God was going to be glorified, which was going to the cross. They didn't understand this. And so there's all this maturing language that we have to, we have to try to get. Uh, sometimes I illustrate maturity this way to where um, all three of my kids, whenever they were little crawlers, they all had an affection for out wall outlets. I don't think it's genetic, but they all desire. I don't, I don't particularly like them. You know, I, I'm not really drawn to them right now, but all three of my kids were like magnets just drawn to these wall outlets. And so they'd look at me. And then they look at the outlet and they look at me and then they just kind of scoot whichever way. One of them uh, scooted on their bottom with like a, a, like a weird crawl that involved one arm, not two arms. And then just all, I don't even know. It was just like a, a Turkish getup constantly ripped, just absolutely ripped. The other, other ones were more normal and crawled over there as fast as, as fast as they could. But all three kids went over to that wall out, outlet. You know, one thing that I never did whenever I try to discipline them to, to, to not go over there, I never tried to explain electricity to them. Not one time did I say, you know what? Uh, 120 volts right over here, 10 amps probably. Uh, that'll get you, all right? Electri electric currents, it's moving this way and that way, and it's kind of invisible, but you'll see it if it sparks, you know? And uh, this is devastating over here. No, I didn't explain that to them. I, I, I didn't explain that. Why? Because they couldn't handle it. There'd be, no, there'd be no category in their sweet little six-month-old mind to be able to understand what electricity is. But what did I, instead, what did I try to teach them? I tried to teach them that you need to give me your attention in this life. Give me your attention, little one. And so they learned, they learned the tone of my voice whenever I'm like, hey, uh, they like, and they knew it, you know, they, they were crawling, doing the one-arm crawl, like over there. Hey, oh, uh, and he caught me, he caught me again. And so I taught them to give me, my, uh, give me their attention. I also taught them that they can trust me. When dad says something, you can trust me. Why? Because that's all, that's all a little kid can handle. And what's interesting here is Jesus speaks so plainly to the disciples here. It's actually a hard text to, to preach. It's just like, do you, did you read it? Did you read it? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said. My peace I leave with you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Not, let them not be afraid. That's pretty straightforward stuff. All right? And so what should we do with it? We should trust him. We should give it our attention and we should trust him and we should and we should obey. But what's so interesting about all of this, all of this, is we need to understand the tender, kind love of the Lord in his plain speaking to his disciples in a way that they could handle it at the time. 
Jesus doesn't leave us as orphans, he says earlier in, in John chapter 14. He is giving us peace. He's giving us, uh, he's giving us his love. He is giving not the way that the world gives. He gives in the unique God way, benevolently, overflowing. He wants to give us his presence through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. So again, my question is this, what does it mean to mature in this? How can we, how can we grow in this? And I think a lot of times we treat, we treat maturing in the Lord like we treat maturing physically. So we think it's time bound, right? And so we, we walk with the Lord for a couple of years and we wonder why, why am I not growing, all right? Uh, if you've ever seen a brand new baby and a three-year-old, they're like, that's a big difference. There's a big difference. I should see that much equivalent growth in my spiritual life, shouldn't I? I've been walking with the Lord for three years. Why am I not growing? I've been walking with the Lord for 18 years. Why have I not grown? Why, why are there some younger people that are more spiritually mature than I am? Well, what's up with that? Well, here's the thing. Relational, or, or excuse me, spiritual maturity grows in the same way that we mature relationally. How do you, how do you mature in a relationship? Is it just time? No, there's some energy and effort there. There's some energy and effort in how we grow relationally. You have to break the vulnerability threshold. You have to be honest with each other. You have to submit your preferences to the preferences of the other person. You have to, you have to give up what you want to do and what you, you want to watch sometimes and, and how you want to spend your Saturday for the sake of the other person. And what does that do? That breeds trust and intimacy. The way that you grow relationally is you grow intimate with a person. And so some of y'all know that you can grow side by side with someone, like a, like a sibling or something, and you don't have a good relationship with your sibling. Because, why? Because time does not mature relationships. Intimacy does. Intimacy does. In the same way, we do not grow in the Lord. Our, our growth in the Lord is not time-bound. Our growth in the Lord is dependent upon your intimacy with God. I'm going to say that again. Your growth in the Lord, church, is dependent upon the amount of intimate time you spend with Him. So you want to know why you're not growing? You can have a direct correlation of what are you doing to spend intimate time with the Lord? What are you doing to submit your preferences, your desires, what your flesh wants, and say, I'm going to subjugate all of that under the Lordship of Christ? Because if you're wondering, this, this is how the enemy works. He's really crafty. He has duped the church into thinking this is time-bound. It's not time-bound. It's intimacy bound. It's bound by our intimacy with the Lord. So do you want to know how this graph of, of spiritual maturity grows? There is a direct correlation to how much time you spend in intimate fellowship with the Lord. That's why there's some younger men and women that are younger in stature, younger in, in age, but more mature than some 60-year-olds. Why? Because they've spent more intimate time with the Lord. They spent more intimate time with the Lord. And listen, 
Listen, what I said earlier about John and what the Lord wants to communicate to us very clearly is we all start off as babies. There's no nas. All right. There's there's no um, steroids that you can take to really expedite your relationship with the Lord. It is all dependent upon intimacy with God. It is all dependent upon that. And so this is important because we got to understand what it means to grow in maturity. Right. No one. No one in this room. I don't. I don't want to be seen as immature in any area of my life, any area of my life. And I'm sure you don't either. Do we want to be seen as immature? No, that's, an, that's embarrassing. So we gotta, we gotta have frank, honest conversation about how we grow in maturity because Jesus points out some of their immaturity right here. He, whenever he points it out, he said, hey, you should be more mature than this, but you're not, you're not. You should delight that I'm going to the Father. Whenever you grow up into maturity, you're gonna praise, praise the name of the Father that I'm sitting at his right hand. But right now you're immature. And you haven't yet, and you haven't yet grown in this. So this is so important. This is so important. What's interesting here that I want to highlight in this text is really just two verses, verses 26 and 27. And I want to, I want to really dive into these, these verses today. Because what's so interesting about verse 27 is it says this, I'm about to go die. And I'm leaving you something. So this is Jesus' last will and testament. And what gift does he give to those that are followers of Christ? Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So here's my question. Do you have the peace of Christ reigning in your heart right now? Does our culture have the peace of Christ reigning in the ether right now? I would say the last thing that we have as a society right now is peace. Here's another question. Are your fears diminishing, Christian? Are your fears diminishing? Or with every new responsibility, are your fears growing? Because what, according to this passage, according to what Jesus is leaving us right here, is he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Receive my peace. Neither let your hearts be afraid. So peace is the antidote. Peace is the antidote to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Maturing love in the Lord diminishes our fears over time. Diminishes our fears over time. So let's really dive in. And here's my first point. Peace is the antidote to fear. What are you afraid of? See, Cody, that, that list is too long. That list is too long. So let's ask this question. Where do fears stem from? Where, what does fear come from? Is this a natural thing? Was this, was this something that was in the garden? Or is, is, fear, is fear good? I've heard some say that fear is actually really, really good. You need, you need to have fear. The Bible never addresses that. It's, the Bible says it's okay to be sad, but it never says that it's okay to be afraid. All right? And so it's okay to have sorrow and cares of this world that break you down. Jesus was a man of sorrows, but it never, it never qualifies that. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to fear. No, perfect love casts out fear. You belong to Christ. There should be no fear. So let's, let's look at this. 
Adam and Eve in the garden. How did fear begin? Right in the garden, what happens? They sin. They trust the word of the serpent over the word of God. And whenever they broke fellowship, they trusted someone more than they trusted God. That was sin. And what happened immediately whenever Adam heard Jesus walking in the cool of the day. He's like, oh, there's the Lord. I always run up to him. But now I'm afraid. And he jumped in the bushes. Fear comes from sin. Fear comes from sin. This is not something that is natural or good. Fear actually stems from the fall. It comes all the way back in in the fall. The world, the world says something totally opposite. The world says this, the closer you get to God, Christian, the more you will be afraid. If you get, if you get closer to God, that, that, that judging, wrathful God, you know, uh, you will be more and more afraid. And then, so you can't handle life because you're constantly worried if you're going to offend God or something, something like that. This is what the world propagates over and over again to us. The world says if you get close to God, then you'll be afraid. But what happens in the garden was they sinned and they ran from God and they were afraid. So fear, fear is actually a result of our distance from God. I'm going to say that again. Fear is a result of not your nearness to the Lord. Fear is a result of your distance from God, of your distance from God. And that's so crucial because the world says something totally different. The, the peace, what is the peace that the world offers us? The peace that the world offers us is really self-reliance. You, you can have peace if you have enough self-reliance that you got your bank account in order. That you, got, uh, you have enough wisdom not to stu stumble over here or over there. The false peace that the world offers us is really just self-reliance. It's self-reliance. Are you trusting in yourself? Do you feel like you have control over your circumstances enough to where you can be at peace? This is what the world says you're supposed to have, which is really just a sense of control, right? A sense of control. I have, I have enough wisdom, I have enough wisdom over here that I have learned to control or manipulate my life circumstances. Therefore, I have peace. But if you live for any longer than at least two decades, you realize that, my goodness, there's so much that can go on in this world that is completely outside of my control. You can't control other people sinning against you. You can't control famines happening in other countries. And so what does the world say to us? Whenever you look at the scope of the world and the vastness of the world and all of its pains, all of its sorrows, all of its hurts, all of its brokenness, what the world says, what smart people say in the world, uh, the people that are politicians or doctors that know all the million things that can go wrong with just our bodies, what do they say? They teach them to turn off your brain and don't think about this too much. Don't think too much. This is how the world deals with fears. There's a lot of bad stuff over there, so just kind of turn off that, that part of your brain. And this is what all of us smart people do. Like doctors don't dwell on all the negative um, mutant gene things that can go on in our body because they would just be crippled. So turn off your brain. Turn off your brain and you'll be okay. 
But that's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible says, get close with God. Get close with God. Run to intimacy with Him. And if, whenever you run to intimacy with Him, you're not turning off your brain. You're, you're having the ability to engage with the sorrows and the brokenness of the world in a real tangible way. You're working in the, the, the truths of God's Word into your heart, into your heart in such a way that you can help. You can actually help and you can manage, you can manage the brokenness of this world. Why? Because you have theological answers. You have theological answers, and you've wrestled with the God of the universe who made everything, and you're saying, God, there's a lot of brokenness out there, but I know you're good. I know you're in control, and I know, I know that sometimes you use suffering for your good because I looked to the cross, and that was completely unjust, and that was profound suffering, and yet you use that for the greatest news in the history of history. And so the, the Christian's response is not have peace by turning off your brain. The Christian's response is have peace by working out intimacy with God, looking at the scriptures, wrestling with the Lord, try to get as close to him as possible. And his perfect love, his kind love begins to cast out fears. What are you afraid of, Redeemer? I promise you, whatever you're afraid of, you're not close to the Lord in that area. You're not yet mature in the Lord in that area. Let's pursue him with maturity. Let's pursue him with maturity. The way that I like to illustrate this is, uh, you ever seen a kid who is pushing a shopping cart at Walmart or at the mall or something like that? And the first time they do that, uh, they're like, Mom, don't need your help. Dad, don't need your help. I obviously have seen this for months now. I've seen you do this for months. I am a pro at this. I'm a pro at this. And so what do they do? They, they start pushing it, and they're usually pushing it like right up here. And, um, and they're using all their strength and stuff, and uh, they're, they're swerving all over the road. They're swerving all over the road, and they, 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 can't, they can't keep things straight, and they hit stuff, and they're like, no, Mom, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I can do it. And yet they're knocking stuff down. You're constantly picking things up, constantly picking things up. And, and what does the, the child actually need from us? The child actually needs a guiding hand the entire time. The child doesn't need us far away. The child needs us really, really close. In the same way, we don't need, we don't need self-reliance to create this pseudo peace. What we need is close intimacy with God. We need to mature in the Lord. And there is no maturing without deep vulnerability in the gospel, in God, in Christ. We need to pursue him with all that we are. And without this, without this, we will swerve all over the road will be tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. Every time suffering comes into our lives, we will not just mourn and be sad, but we'll collapse. We'll collapse and we'll say, God, why? Why me? Why me? And so what we have to learn is how do we have intimacy with the Lord? How do we have intimacy with the Lord? You see, we're in this culture right now that reads texts like this, that the Lord gives peace and he will send his helper, and just say, well, you know, like, that's for those super Christians. 
That's just for, you know, Holy Spirit stuff. That's just for those super Christians. Really, all God wants for you is just to get on the team. Find the team. All right? Get on team Jesus. Get on team Christianity. And if you're on team Christianity, guess what? That's really all God wants. He just, want, he just wants you to be on the team and all that sanctification, what does that word even mean, and, and growth and maturity in the Lord, why? You know, that's for, that's for those super Christians, that's for those weirdos. Like, as long as you're on the team, you're good, man. Stop, stop worrying, you don't have anything to stress about. But yet, that, what does that do? It produces a generation that doesn't have any understanding of how to read our Bible or why we should read our Bible or why put scripture in our hearts so that we might not sin against him or what, what's the purpose of the church and how do we pray and why do we pray and should we pray with other people? And so we have this disillusioned culture, this completely disillusioned culture if we don't understand that we have to mature, mature in the Lord, that we have to grow up in, in the faith. Because really, belonging to the household of God means that we have to mature in the household of God. Uh, it's important to remember that we are adopted sons and daughters here. And uh, a story that my friend Brent has told me over and over again uh, for the last couple of weeks was uh, a, a foster family that was kind of just um, taking care of this older teenager. Uh, if you don't know Brent and Abby Holsberry, uh, they, they are kind of pioneers in helping us um, really think and pray about how to bless Wichita Falls in fostering and adoption. They, they run an organization called TFI, which means, uh, which is, uh, stands for the Forgotten Initiative, and um, just faithful, faithful brother and sister uh, that are pioneers of how we can bless uh, the, the, the most vulnerable in our, in, our, uh, in our city. And so he's been telling me this story about this mentor of his that uh, he really looks up to, and and uh, whenever they brought in this teenager, they were, he was acting up and stuff, and, and they had to sit down with him and said, hey, I need to know how to love you really faithfully. And you know what this teenager said? He said something that's going to fly in our face that we really need to grasp as followers of Christ and the household of God as adopted ourselves. He said, I need rules. I've never had rules in my entire life. I've gone to place to place to place and I just need you to tell me what to do. Can you tell me what to do, please? Brothers and sisters, whenever the Lord gives us rules, he's not trying to keep, a, keep us under his thumb. He's not trying to say, you better obey me or else. No, he's being a loving father who's teaching you about the household of God and how to operate and walk with him and love him and have life which is truly life and have peace which is truly peace. His, his rules are here to show us and to point us the way to Zoe, to life, a vitality of life, vitality of life that we all really want for ourselves. God's rules are not a power trip for him. They're loving instruction. Their loving instruction that he gives, like a father loving a son. And this is why he says so gently to the disciples and to you and I today, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my name, and he will teach you. He will be inside of you. He will teach you 
through your conscience all the things and bring all that I have to the, all that I've said to, to your memory. This is great, great news. Have we learned it? Does it excite us? Do we know and understand what it means to receive the instruction of the Lord or do we believe the lie? Have we believed the lie that really God just wants us on Team Jesus and then we can live however we want? Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Jesus. Jesus is Lord, correct? If he's Lord and he cherishes us, of course he's going to care about how we operate in this world. Of course he is. I love and cherish my children. My instructions are not some power trip. And me, who is evil, according to the Lord, know how to give good gifts and good instructions to my children. How much more so are the Lord's instructions to us? To us, church. Don't you see the implications of this? How do we grow in maturity? Oh, do what he says. Whenever you're reading his word, look at what's an imperative or what's a command and say, God, I want to do this. Now, if you open up to Le Leviticus and be like, I'm going to do all of these things, you need some proper hermeneutics to kind of parse through that. And that's why we're a church and you should ask a whole lot of questions about that. All right. But in the New Testament, whenever you read something that, oh, I should abide in him, I should walk with him. Paul is praying for the church to know Christ. Then we should say, how do I know him? How do I break the vulnerability threshold with him? How do I become intimate with the Lord of Lords and the God of Gods? How do I set aside time from things that I'm typically doing like on my phone and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to live for the glory. I'm going to live for the glory of God. Listen, listen, peace comes no other way. Peace only comes through closeness with the Lord, not distance. We have to to obey him. You say, Cody, man, like, really? This is, our, this is our application? It will be our application probably for a long time until we extricate ourselves from the lie as a church. Extricate ourselves from the lie as a church that I don't, I think I need Jesus plus something else. I I don't know why Christianity isn't working for me. I mean, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying. I'm not going to church. I'm not fellowshipping. I'm not, I'm not doing anything that it says, but Christianity just seems to not work, you know? We believe that lie, that maturity should be time-bound and developed the same way that our physical maturity is, but it's not. There's a direct correlation between our connection with the Lord and our intimacy, all right? So let's... Uh, we have to understand that. We have to understand that. And this means that sanctification is the main goal of the Christian. Sanctification is the main goal of the Christian. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Uh, a lot of us, especially college students, are always constantly looking for the will of God. What's the will of God? Okay. Do, you, do I know the will of God? Well, the Bible actually says it. All right. 1 Thessalonians Four, three. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? That you become and grow up and become more like Christ. 
that you obey him, that you love the things that Christ loves and obey the things that Christ says. Romans 6, says this, and it's, it's so fire. Let's just read it. It says, however, now that you have been set free from sin and have become God's slaves, the fruit you received leads to, righteous, leads to sanctification and ultimately eternal life. Ultimately eternal life. He says you're dead. Sin that you've lived, you're dead. That's why you have a new birth. And the life that you now live leads to sanctification and ultimately eternal life. What biblical Christianity offers us is true peace and true life through obedience to God's word. How? Through the paraclete, through the helper, the second helper. Jesus doesn't leave us as orphans. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk with him and know, know him really, really deeply. So earlier I mentioned that there was a false peace that the world likes to offer us. And this false peace is really confidence in your own self-reliance. And so if, if you have your diet under control, you're just like, oh, you know, I got that down. I'm healthy. I'm good. I don't need that. And it's like if you always follow the speed limit or do whatever the TV says or always obey the rules, you're like, I don't have to worry about anything because I'm keeping in line over here. That's false peace. That's peace in things that you have control over. True peace, Christ's peace gifted to us, is rooted in the soil of deep trust in the Lord. Do you trust the Lord? Or do you lean on your own understanding? In all your ways, have you acknowledged him? Because the, the word says whenever you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will make straight your paths. Is this what you're experiencing in this life? Or are you constantly going back and forth, back and forth? Because what's so crazy, what is so powerful is this, is we constantly, let me say this directly, we constantly believe that we can't trust God. I think all aspects of what this world is bringing us is this understanding that it, don't trust yourself fully to God. Are you crazy? You lose all control. He'll send you straight to the mission field if you trust him. You know, like you're going straight overseas. Uh, if you trust him completely, you need, to, you need to find the arm's distance that you're comfortable with and just keep him, keep him there. Because if you totally trust God, he's, he's going to betray you. God will betray all your heart's desires and wants if you, trust, if you trust him fully. And listen, some of us, I was kind of joking there, but some of us feel like they can't trust him for very real reasons. Very real suffering. Things that you've looked in your past and you said, yeah, I'd love to trust God, but this happened. This trauma, this suffering. I'd love to, love to trust him, but he has lost. He's lost my trust. Why let a kid die? God, why would you do that? Why, why this trauma in this situation? Why alcoholism in my family? Why drugs sending people to prison over here? What, oh, I wish I could trust you, God, but how, how could I? You said you would give me peace. 
You said you would, you would give me and leave me peace, and this is the life that I'm living? I don't, I don't trust you. And let me press in. Let me press in here. All right? Number one, your pain is real. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He went to the cross to bear our sins, to bear our brokenness, to bear the brokenness of other people that wounded us. So that is real, and I am not mitigating your sorrows or your suffering one dot or iota. But, but let me press in. Are you trusting in the God of the Bible? Are you angry at the God of the Bible? Do you know him intimately enough to know how he responds to everything? Or what you're angry at is God, in, in God, are you actually angry at a false God that you've made up in your mind, maybe even called the name Jesus, and said, if you were really God and if you were really good, you would have never allowed this to happen. And I, and I press into you, church, to say this. Does, God, does the God of the Bible never use suffering to get his ultimate good purpose accomplished here on this earth? And if you're a Christian that bears the name Christ in this room, you know, of course he uses suffering to get his point across. The cross wouldn't have happened if there was any other way. Jesus went to the cross. He bore our burdens. He bore our suffering. He took on our sin. He was whipped for our iniquities. He was chastised to bring us peace. And so if you're angry at God, you're not angry at the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible uses suffering to accomplish his purposes, which are good, beautiful, just, loving, and right. You're probably angry at a false God, a false God, even if you call him Christ. And the only way we can mature is if, if we come to close, deep intimacy with the Lord. And we say, I'm not going to turn off my brain and say, there's a bunch of evil stuff out there. I just, I guess I can't think about it and do it. No, you press into the God of gods and the Lord of lords who is not afraid of your questions. And you get as close as you possibly can to him. And whenever you get as close as you possibly can to him, guess what? The peace of God will flood into your heart like a reflex, like a reflex. Because this is how he operates in this world. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, uses suffering in this world to accomplish his great purposes. And the Bible promises, because he's an intimate God, that I will walk near you. I will walk close to you. Do not, do not say, this false God let me down, therefore I'm done with Christianity. Go to the text. Go to the scriptures and say, God, whoever you are, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me in this word. Holy Spirit, if you're real, give me this peace. You've got to help me. You said you're the helper. Help, help. Run to him. Get as close as you possibly can to him. And the peace of Christ will flood into your hearts naturally. This isn't a magic wand. This is deep intimacy. Maturity and depth of relationship takes time. But press in over and over and over. And the things of this life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray.